0: My name is Kate the Socialite, and you're listening to episode 113, Running a Business is the best, the worst, and the most rewarding, and the most dangerous, potentially, to your personal health. Just ask John Dupre of Rebel Woods. Some of you might remember John's debut on The Kate Show back in episode 37, where he shared the awesome hardwood flooring they offer exclusively to interior designers. But in today's episode, we are getting the scoop on John's work-induced hospital stay, the devastation and roller coaster ride that almost always accompanies entrepreneurship, and an honest look at the realities of running a business when outside forces are directly working against you. I want you to grab your favorite beverage and get ready for an honest, relatable conversation about the exciting and the deeply stressful parts of entrepreneurship. I hope that you are inspired and empowered by the tenacity of John Dupre and Revelwoods. Now, obviously, with the pandemic going on in various parts of the world, This could not be a better time for this episode, and I want you guys to keep in mind that this episode is transparent and poignant. It is a much-needed message in a business climate where we might lean toward panic or paranoia. It's your invitation to reassess your dedication to your business while enjoying the company of fellow entrepreneurs, mainly me and John. I'd like to personally thank John for his vulnerability and his insane level of commitment to serving the design community. Hello, everyone. I am here with the one and only John Dupre. Again, you guys heard him in episode 37. And today he is back. He is, I think, the only repeat guest we've ever had on The Kate Show to date. John, welcome to the show.
1: Wow. You didn't tell me before we started that I was making history. So now I'm nervous. Thanks.
0: You're you're also only, you're one of two men to ever be on the show. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh, well, uh, I've got a lot to live up to then. <laughs> yeah. I gotta, I have to represent very well. You do. Uh, which is something typically my my gender has not been doing lately. So uh, no pressure.
0: Okay. Uh, well, I don't know this if, this, if this helps or hurts, but most of my listeners are female.
1: I don't know if it helps or hurts either. We'll okay. see. I guess we're we'll see what out. kind of feed. Well, you know, you've had me on before, so you know I'm safe. Uh, you, I, I suppose if it was terrible, you would have heard about it.
0: Very true. I would have. But... I wanted to have you back on the show because you are one of the owners of Revelwoods and I want everyone to keep you guys in mind. I don't want them to forget about what you offer by any means because you guys offer trade only sourcing, which especially right now, that's such a hot topic with a lot of companies that are trying to go around the interior designer to get to the homeowner. So Can you just give us an update on what you guys have been up to at Rebel Woods and what you have that can really help interior designers?
1: Yeah, no, I'm happy to. So, you know, I think, and this kind of leads into a broader version of what you wanted to talk about today, but when we first had the idea for this company, we were thinking, I mean, this was, I want to say like 2015, like early 2015, we first had the idea to kind of build this platform, if you will, out. And we were originally thinking, oh yeah, this is going to be direct to consumer. Like everybody, it it was it was a simpler time back in 2015. Everybody wanted to be the Warby Parker of everything, right? Like you had all these pitches that were like, we're like the Warby Parker of sandals and we're the Warby Parker of child size outdoor furniture. And uh so we kind of thought, oh, we could be like the Warby Parker of flooring. And we kind of had this idea that we were gonna build a sort of a tool that would help basically make project-based sourcing for wood flooring. Because as you know, we talked about in the last show, and anyone who hasn't heard that show, I'll give you the quick recap kind of what we do. We built a proprietary algorithm that pairs wood flooring with your specific project based on its technical requirements. So because wood is a plant-based organic material, not all species and structures perform the same in all situations. So what works for a cabin in Montana might not work for a beach house in Miami. So if you're the beach house in Miami, we ask you some questions and then we only show you products that work in that space. And so we originally thought, oh, consumers are going to love this. And they didn't. And the reason for that, we had to pivot pretty hard, but we didn't know what to do. But the reason we were sol- we were solving a problem for people they didn't know they were having. So if you've ever tried to buy flooring before, because it's something you buy like three times in your life, it's, if you're lucky, maybe fewer. It's a tough process, but most people whom we were trying to target hadn't purchased it before. So we were solving a problem they didn't know they had. That's where we noticed some interior designers jumped right on it and said, hey, I can use this with my clients. And so we realized kind of quickly, like we've built the wrong thing and we were targeting the consumer. And there's a lot of problems with that model that I'm happy to to go deeper in if you want. But with the designer, um, we thought, let's just make this more of a trade focused platform and sourcing concierge service for interior designers rather than try to See how much we can spend on Google AdWords to get to page six on Google or whatever it is, right? So, in that process, we really tried to learn more about what is the interior design workflow? Why are they not sourcing flooring? Can we create a tool that allows them to add flooring to their repertoire as a way for them to make money? Because they're already sort of speccing it or they're helping approve the flooring, they're in charge of the overall look. You know, how do we empower them? to do that. So that is kind of what our program is geared towards. I mean, the interior designer is our primary focus far and away beyond all the other channels we're kind of working through.
0: Yeah. It makes so much sense because I think in a way your business model and the socialite business model are very similar because our end goal is to make the interior designer look as professional as possible and take a lot of the busy work and even the thought process out of selecting hardwood, or in my case, marketing for them, so they can actually focus on the project as a whole. And that's why I'm glad that you've remained true to your priorities and stayed trade only. So that said, is there anything new or any updates that you want to share as far as how you guys are working with designers or I know before we started recording, you mentioned different ways that designers can actually use your platform to increase their profitability. Do you want to speak on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, no. So we've done a lot since we've last spoken. So the flooring, we're very tied in with the flooring industry. Uh, So my father is currently chairman of the National Wood Flooring Association. So we are all the way into this so that our uh, so we kind of know what's going on in the world of flooring we know what the upcoming trends are we know what's happening from a manufacturing standpoint we were on the ground level with the whole trade war issue that seems to be settled now at the time of this recording with china between Um, lumber imports, exports. I was actually part of a group that had to lobby Congress on behalf of the Hardwood Federation talking about that. So we're really tied in to that. But one of the things that we kept getting requests for was, we've been strictly hardwood, solid and engineered, and we were getting requests for vinyl flooring. And I get it. We, We understood why. It's an easy product to sell. It's an easy product to install. It can be very durable. But part of our business model and our sourcing kind of was not compatible with vinyl because we do not work with people that we don't know personally, and we've not vetted to an extreme level. And the problem with a lot of vinyl flooring is it being imported. That's It's not impossible, but it's very difficult to do. If you're not going to China you know, at least once a quarter, you really can't vet a lot of these manufacturing facilities there, and that's where the predominant amount of vinyl flooring is made. So. One of the uh, things we, you know, people kind of asked us, well, do you have vinyl? We spec a lot of vinyl. A lot of designers are doing that for different applications. And so we just thought, like, do we, we had to make this decision. Like, do we jump in on this trend and kind of throw what our brand stands for as far as that curation in the, you know, do we throw that to the wind? Do we just say we're suspending it for this one product category? How do we do that and so what we did ultimately was we found a partner that is now manufacturing resilient flooring in the united states so we were able to apply the same level of vetting then we could feel good about this you know as we're honest that resilient flooring is not as sustainable as wood flooring but american-made resilient flooring is considerably more sustainable than imported resilient flooring and so that was part of it is that we've now expanded our offering to include curated resilient offering, but then the cooler thing for the interior designer on top of that is in order to develop the technology to uh, manufacture this in the United States they we now have the capability through our supply partner where we can do small run vinyl flooring for our design partners that are in custom colors, images, textures, so you can do as a designer. You have the ability to, let's say, you like one of the colors we're offering, but you want it to be ah, maybe a little darker. We can do that pretty easily. Or if you wanted to have something almost either completely from scratch, or if you wanted to take an existing wood floor and scan it in and recreate that in kind of a vinyl, we are giving. You know, again, these are all the lead times and pricing are based on what you're doing and for project. It's not the same price as what you're going to find at Home Depot, but that wasn't even possible. And it's something we're only offering to the interior design trade. So interior designers not only now can compete with flooring stores, but an interior designer specking flooring can do something that a flooring store, no flooring store in the country can do.
0: Oh my goodness. Like I'm not a designer and even I'm excited about this. And I don't know if I've just been living under a rock out here in Wisconsin, but I've never heard of that being possible anywhere. I mean, yeah, well, it
1: wasn't until like a month ago.
0: That's insane. Good for you guys. Way to be innovative.
1: Thank you for letting me talk about it because we're really (laughs) stoked. And right now the vinyl offering on our site, if you go to the site, you'll see two buttons, shop hardwood flooring and shop resilient flooring. The hardwood flooring takes you through to our, our typical Revelwood selector, the quiz that we've designed to get in the right space. But the resilient flooring doesn't have that. So if you hit shop resilient, you can see kind of what our off the shelf offering is. And then it's just, you can buy a design kit that we've set up that's a sample of everything that we offer from that resilient, the three resilient collections. It's a sample of each plus uh tote bag. So you can easily take it to your client meetings with you. It all just fits in there. And once you buy that, we'll replace any sample that you leave with a client for free. And it's, um, we will also, you know, that gives you access to the ability to spec something custom if you wanted to do that. So I want to make everyone clear, too, that you don't just go on the site and design a vinyl floor and then it's like free and it's all set. We would work with you specifically if you had a custom job, you had that client that was willing to pay for that and have something in their home that no one else has. But that wasn't even possible before. And it's still not possible if you're not an interior designer.
0: Wow. I just I love that because I can basically hear all of my listeners like, oh, my goodness, the level of customization can now bring to a project. And being one step ahead of a regular direct-to-consumer flooring store is such a huge sell. And especially, you know, going back to the conversation we were having before we started recording, there are so many things happening right now in the economy, at least here in the U.S. Um, I do have a lot of listeners who are outside the U.S., but everyone is going to go through a phase in their business where they're like, okay, how can I become more profitable? How can I offer more of the right things? I'm not a huge fan of people offering everything under the sun, but if they can offer something like this that makes sense, that really gives them a level up from regular stores, that's just a no-brainer from a business standpoint.
1: Thank you. Yeah, well, we think so, too. And that's one of the reasons why we're super excited about it. But and, and, and I don't mean it to me just sound like a commercial because we'll, we'll get into This is all the fun stuff. And then I know we're going to talk about all of the, the not fun stuff. So everybody gets a whole kind of picture of what this is like. But but it is it has the potential to be kind of game changing for designers, because the other nice thing that even if you don't go custom, but especially if you go custom, the idea of being able to do that is something your client is not going to be able to shop you know mm-hmm. when you've said look we we've created this product for you there is something about that where the client's not going to come back and be like ah i found this at prosource or home depot or whatever and it's fine you know there's something about that that keeps the client into your your workflow and i think that even if it's just something that's off of our our normal offering even if you know 90% of the flooring that you spec is just something that was on our site that's fine too but the ability for that 1% or when you have that client that they're doing something really special in their walkout basement and they want vinyl and they want it to match their upstairs and this floor that was like 200 years old or whatever it is, right? Like we, we take it on a per project basis, but that's something they're not going to be able to just walk into the carpet store and just find.
0: Mm -hmm. And I'm curious that with developing this new product and this, it's totally new to the industry. You're basically just pioneering it. Is it safe for me to assume that maybe working on this project is what led you to like the not fun stuff that we're going to talk about today, where being an entrepreneur, running a growing and successful business, it can burn us out. So was this the cause that, or the reason that landed you in the hospital? Because that has been the thing I'm most curious about ever since we scheduled this interview.
1: Yeah. So that was, uh, so I guess, let me go back about a year ago and the, so I I ended up, it was an injury that ultimately landed me there, but it was not, I injured it years ago. I had a back injury. So, which I guess is not nearly as uh, exciting as people would sound, but it was something that like I had a whole, I would like herniated a disc and I did physical therapy and it was always just kind of bothered me, but it was just out there. But about a year ago, the wood flooring industry hit Going into the beginning of 2019, it wood flooring specifically just suddenly started diving. And everyone in our industry, like the economy itself was okay, but it was a combination of a number of factors. And part of it was the rise of vinyl flooring. Actually, a huge part of it was the rise of vinyl flooring. The trade war was having significant impacts on the entire uh, supply chain for the Lumber Association, uh, mostly because we, of what we export, not necessarily because of what we import. So it was like the retaliatory tariffs, but we can get into the details if anyone really wants to get nerdy on supply chain and international commerce. But it had all of a sudden, everything was kind of moving along nicely. And the bottom just fell out, both in our business as well as in the industry. Everybody immediately sudden, it was like overnight. We all looked at each other and went, guys, what just happened? And we had a moment internally where we thought after the first quarter of last year where we thought, man, three more quarters like this and we're done. Like, that's it. We've made it this far. We're creating this whole new channel. We're opening flooring up to interior designers in a way that it was never accessible to them before. It's this amazing thing. We've gotten a ton of buzz. We've been on repeat guests on the Kate Show, which hadn't happened then but it was going to happen and i knew it was going to happen but uh you know all we had all this momentum and then suddenly we're staring at very real like we got to start letting people go we got to start cutting back or we're not going to make it and that was so sobering i immediately got like sick So my, I, I got like a bug, like it just, whenever you get super stressed, your immune system just gets torched. Yep. So it, that had happened. And then right after that, my back injury from, I think it was really due to the stress just suddenly out of the blue, just re-aggravated and it got to the point. So now all of this stuff is happening and stuff with the business. And we're trying to figure out who stays and who goes. Are we going to even make it? Uh, What are we going to do with the debt that we're in for the loan we took out to get part of this going? Like it was all, it was really scary and I'm, I'm not exaggerating and the stress from all of that. And then suddenly one day I couldn't stand up. I couldn't sit. I couldn't stand. There was this pain. It was like a tremendous sciatica. Anyone who's ever had a herniated disc, I think can relate to this, but out of the blue, I just couldn't move. And I was, I was literally bedridden. I could not get out of bed short of short bursts. I couldn't pick my kids up. I couldn't do anything. My poor wife was just like a superhero through this whole thing. I went to, I went to like urgent care and they were like, yeah, we can't really give you anything because there's also an opioid crisis going on. And we want to make sure that you're safe from that. And I was like, I think we're good there. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> um, so then they, so I was just like, I don't know what's happening with this. I tried physical therapy. I went to a chiropractor. I went to like a deep tissue masseuse. Like I could not get better. And so then I ended up trying to, they were like, yeah, you got to call like orthopedics or like a a spine doctor or something. And this was like mid-March and they said, yeah, the soonest we can see you is May 10th. And I thought, yeah, that ain't going to work. Like, I'm not going to make it because I could, I literally couldn't sit like it was flat on my back. And sometimes not even that I get up in the middle of the night and just like be writhing in pain. So that was fun. That also affected my productivity. I was doing calls like flat on my back, trying to pretend I'm not in pain and I'm calling like new potential designers that we're working with and all. And I was like, yeah, no, everything's great. Yep. Yep. We're good. Uh, So then eventually I couldn't take it. And I went to the ER and they admitted me and they were like, yeah, you're not doing so good. So they ended up keeping me overnight. And that night I was supposed to have a call uh, or that afternoon, I was supposed to have a call with a professor at Duke university who had, she had done this study on vinyl flooring and some of the dangers of it. And I was trying to figure out like, where are we landing with all this? Like I, I saw the study, and it showed that. And this is true, actually, with older vinyl flooring, like a lot of the VCT tiles, where the lower end they were using BBP as a plasticizer, um, which the BBP stands for. And I'm going to butcher this: benzyl butyl. I want to say butylate. You can look it up. I recommend you do. And then shoot your emails to the Kate Show for correcting me, because I don't want to hear it. So anyway, they did this study, and they were showing that in homes with vinyl flooring, the BBP levels, which in in the urine of the children who live there and bbp can cause like childhood obesity and speech development delays like it's it's not the kind of thing you want in your bloodstream Mm -hmm. the bbp levels in children with this vinyl flooring in their home was 15 times that of kids with no vinyl flooring so that was another reason why we weren't going to just jump on the vinyl train right like you don't know what's in it Mm -hmm. so i saw this study i was like i wanted to talk to the Professor who conducted it because it's me. If you know me, like it's not good enough for me to just read an article and be good. Like I'm usually like, oh, who did this study? Oh, Duke. Who's the person at Duke that did it? Oh, it's this person. I went into the faculty directory and I found her email address and I was like, can we talk? So the day we were supposed to talk is the day I'm in the ER. So I didn't want to miss this call because we'd had to reschedule a couple times and she was very difficult to get a hold of. Great though. I mean, graceful, wonderful person to talk to. She was fantastic, but I didn't want to like have to keep pushing it back. I didn't want to miss my chance. So I'm in the ER. My mom was there with me at that point. They had just given me a double dose of Dilaudid, which is a fun sentence to say, by the way. <laughs> so if you've never had Dilaudid, it is the reason for the opioid crisis, because that stuff will take you where you're trying to go. So all of a sudden, I'm on the phone with this professor at Duke University, and I'm getting the Dilaudid, like at that moment. <laughs> And I couldn't like feel it kicking in. And I was like, okay, do not let on that you are loaded with a very controlled substance. And because uh, I'm not a uh, full disclosure, I am not a recreational drug user. So <laughs> Good <this> to know. <laughs> very, um, so I felt this. <laughs> so it is a clean living, this guy. But it's so I'm on the phone just trying to fight this. And I got through the call and I, and it was a great discussion. And afterwards I went to, I said to my mom, like, could you tell? And she goes, no, that was crazy. But it was all part of this. Like I'm having this moment where I can't let any opportunity go because the bottom is falling out of everything. And I'm very injured and very drugged up. And I'm like, not letting this go. And I'm not sure that I would say that that is the way you should run your business. But (laughs) But this was like, this was the crisis we were in. And it was as the owner or one of the owners or the person in charge, like it kind of falls on you, right? Like, what do you do in that situation? And you don't want to do something that's going to hurt your health. But I was having that sort of crisis even of leadership of like, is the right thing to do? Just step back. Is the right thing to do? Press on? Like, where is that line? Because in the end, if it fails, it falls on you, even if it's not your fault. So that was like a very real kind of moment. In the end, ultimately, I needed surgery. They kind of rushed me and not that night, but like a week later, I was in for what uh, What do they call it? Like a hemilaminectomy, which they removed part of this disc and um, was able to recover in a couple of weeks. And it's been fine since then. So that's pretty cool.
0: Oh my but goodness. yeah,
1: I think I honestly do believe the stress from the whole situation really kicked that thing off. So it's not even just that the stress, like stress is interesting, right? Not even that it in of itself will hurt you, but if you've got other things going on, like it exacerbates that.
0: It absolutely does. I mean, it jacks the inflammation way up, which just makes every existing condition so much worse. And, you know, it's interesting, this story, because on a very extreme scale, it illustrates what it actually takes to run a business because I have had people contact me and they're like, I need to make some fast money. I'm going to start a business. How do I get started? And I'm like, "Um, (laughs) where do I start? Let's see.
1: (laughs) That was a very sincere laugh. You want to make some fast money? Go rob a bank. (laughs) It's safer.
0: I mean, honestly, it's less stressful doing that.
1: Yeah, it actually is.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and running it, that, a business. And then you're in
1: jail and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. You just get taken care of there. It's fine.
0: Exactly. Free food. But
1: I would not recommend jail. No. I've never done that. I've never done. But my understand, my brother is actually a corrections officer in the state of New York. So according to him, it's not a place you want to hang out.
0: I would guess not. But I think it's just really, really interesting how, I mean, that's the level of dedication that you actually need to have. And. Of course, I agree with you. You need to make sure you're not actually harming your health. But when it comes right down to it, you were definitely doing whatever it took to grow your business instead of saying, well, I guess that was a good run. We're going to throw in the towel. From the sound of it, you were ready to go down with the ship. And it's the mentality of going down with the ship that can take a business from just being mediocre or in the tank to actually putting it back up on that mountaintop, or at least you know, getting halfway up the mountain because it's always going to be a climb and there is nothing about business that's ever easy. But now that you're out of that, I mean, what's your perspective looking back? Did you ever fathom that you'd be in that position with the business or personally or any of that?
1: No, I love that question too, because this is all the stuff that, you know, what you just said too, it's all the stuff that you don't hear. When you're watching, you know, some morning show or whatever and you see, oh yeah, we're going to interview this CEO is 22 and killing it. No, 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 and you never hear these stories. And when you do, you always hear them at the end of the story. You always hear like you know it turns out okay or they wouldn't be on Good Morning America telling you this story. Well, when you're in the middle of it, too, this is the other piece that when you are in the middle of it, there you don't know that this is going to be okay and there's a real good chance it's not going to be okay. And it's, you know, and I'm not trying to like, just be Debbie Downer about the whole thing, but it, this stress, this is, it's a real thing when you get in the middle of it and you can do everything right. You can have that passion. You can even be willing to go down with the ship and you're not guaranteed that that ship's going to stay up. You know, it's like, you may have to go down with it. And it might've been something that is completely out of your control. Like in our case, it was a lot of market forces that kind of kicked the thing off. But it is um, the level of dedication and the level of it's, you know, the way I've phrased it is everyone always has this misnomer kind of in America or this misconception, not a misnomer, but a misconception in America that and maybe other places in the world, too, where you know, you just you have to follow your dream and you just have to follow your dream. And if you follow your dream and you believe, then it's going to happen. And it's not, you know, and if you just work hard, it's, it's not you know, what are you willing to follow your dream or what do you, you know, the question is that you need to ask yourself is what are you willing to trade for it? And that's the question that as an entrepreneur, I think we all end up getting faced with is what are you willing to trade for this? And is it time with your family? Is it your health? Is it your financial well-being? Is it stability? Is it your marriage? Is it, what is it right? Like what, and I'm not saying that like, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're going to lose all those things. But how far are you willing to go for this? And I think having a clear idea of that going into it is probably smart. And I didn't. I mean, to answer your question, I thought, you know, we thought, hey, we're going to build this thing out. We're going to have this revolutionary concept. It's going to revolutionize. the. And I hate that word now. (laughs) I mean, I hate that word. There's a
0: bitter taste to it. (laughs) I
1: don't know. I don't like it. And I hear it, oh, you're, they're revolutionizing this. And this is going to revolution. But anytime I hear anything, first of all, when I hear the phrase, this is going to, I immediately shut it off because you haven't done anything until you've done it. Mm. So I, I don't want to hear about all the wonderful things you're going to do. Because I was that guy. It was a whole like, this is going to do all these things. But that's so cheap. Like you have not done it until you've done it. And at that point, you can brag about it all you want. But it is really difficult to brag about all the things you're going to do. And because I'm saying this from like embarrassingly that I was that guy and it was like, this is going to do all these wonderful things. And I really thought like a year in, we'd all be going out for steaks. I don't really eat a lot of steak, but something expensive. And that would be it. And the idea that a few years in, re- getting it wrong initially, rebranding, going through the soft launch, targeting the designer, finding out that. Even that, like, oh, we sell designers now. Like, it doesn't work like that. Like, you have to know a lot about interior designers, so they're not going to take your call. All of that was just, I had no idea. And if you told me at the time when we were starting this, you know, would I still have done it? I probably would have, but I would have been way less excited about it.
0: (laughs) Yes. I think we all go into business super naive, but there's no way not to be. No,
1: because you don't know what you're going to get wrong until you do it. You know, you're going to get half of it wrong. You just don't know which half.
0: Yeah. And people often only see the parts that work. And I think it can be very discouraging to, you know, I have a lot of design students who listen to this podcast or, you know, new graduates or people who had different careers and now they're becoming home stagers, designers, or they're opening up their own custom workrooms, And they're just like, I don't know how to get to where my colleagues are. And it seems like they have it all together and they have a team and they have a system. And all of that is not by mistake. It is just from figuring out what doesn't work. And as you said, figuring out what you're willing to trade for the success of your business in the beginning. Because obviously after a certain point, you shouldn't have to work as many hours. You shouldn't have to be as stressed out. But I know what I found is like, especially the first two years of starting a new business, they are the hardest. And after that, it can be a wild card, you know, it can be an upward climb for a while and then something can happen, like what happened to you guys, which was no fault of your own. Okay, guys, we need to hold on for just a minute because I have a really important question to ask you. How are you planning to grow your business this year? Do you have a plan for getting new clients? Do you panic when your word-of-mouth referral sources dry up? It's time to take a proactive approach to growing your business with the Window Coverings Association of America. The WCAA specializes in helping upholsterers, window treatment workrooms, and interior designers build businesses that last. They offer ongoing education on topics such as business, profitability, marketing, window treatment design, upholstery techniques, and more. If you want a business that can withstand the economic ups and downs and still support your family, you need the WCAA. Go to wcaa.org to learn more about becoming a member. And P.S. to everyone else listening who might want to partner with or advertise with the WCAA. There's a place for you too. Go to wcaa.org and click on the industry partners page. How are you feeling about all this now with how something so uncontrollable happened? I mean, are you worried about it happening again? Or what are your thoughts?
1: Well, and that's the thing, right? I mean, it, it can. Like, there's no way to perfectly insulate yourself from outside catastrophes. The best thing you can do is, I mean, there, you can mitigate it to a certain degree and you can make smart decisions, which is nice. You always want to kind of have a plan for these things. Like when you, okay, I think you, you it's like your playbook. And a lot of the bigger companies do this. They have these disaster playbooks. So when XYZ happens, what's the protocol? So that when those things do happen, you're not winging it. You can just say, okay, well, an oil, you're an oil company or whatever, and there's a big oil spill. Like, What's the protocol? Well, we've got a thing for that, and here it is, and do this.
0: Right.
1: And sometimes you don't always have the luxury of the disaster being something that you could have foreseen. But a lot of them, you know, what happens if the market turns? What happens if uh, one of our employees does something that tarnishes the reputation of the company? I mean, there's some of them that are relatively predictable, but, you know, it can always happen. And part of me, too, like it's created almost a sense of urgency too. like, what do we need to do to get to a place where we have enough our systems and everything are in place where if one little thing happens, it doesn't take the whole ship down. And um, you know, I don't even know if we've accomplished that. You know, that's the other piece too. Is like that you mentioned the climb, and you know, when you're climbing that mountain, that mountain grows as you climb it. <laughs> like that, yes. you think like, I just need to get <laughs> to this point. Oh, we just need to do ten million a year, and we're whatever. And you're not, but like by the time you get to ten million, your um your mark is now thirty million or mm-hmm. whatever it is, right? So it's not. It's one of those things you have to kind of just have a realistic understanding. And that's a piece of it. Like prepare for what you can prepare for and be realistic about it. And then when it gets ready, like know that, okay, well, I know that I'm I'm willing to trade my weekends for this. I'm willing to trade my vacation for this, but I'm not willing to trade my evenings or time with my kids or my health or whatever it is, right? Like if you know where your line is, that also helps you kind of know when it's time to throw in the towel because maybe... When you're ready, you have to trade that thing you don't want to trade, then what you get is not worth it, right? If you'd rather have your health than the successful business, and that's what it's going to cost, then you know, okay, you know what, it wasn't worth it, and you can walk away and feel good about that. But it is... I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, and again, I'm not saying everybody's going to, if you start a business, you can kiss your marriage goodbye. Cause that's
0: <laughs>
1: right. But, but I do know I've, I've worked with people in the past and been partners with people in the past where they were not going to give up their free time. They were They were all in on this as long as it was from nine to five on Monday through Friday and not on holidays. They were all in, you know, <laughs> and it was like, right, it's going to take more than that. So what yeah. do you want to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, especially at least in the beginning, it definitely takes more than that. Many, many long days spent doing things that, like at least for me, I would wonder, is this ever going to pan out? Is this ever going to amount to anything? Or is it all going to fail? And when things didn't pick up as fast as I thought they would, I fell into what a lot of my listeners fall into, and that is, oh my goodness, it's me. I am holding my business back. And that's something, I don't know, maybe you guys don't internalize these things as much as we women do. And I'm kind of curious to hear about that. But just to give you an idea of what I mean, when something isn't panning out, whether it's with marketing or if a designer is offering a new service and she's not getting or he's not getting enough interest in it, or they realize that their bills are outweighing the paid invoices they have that month. They can start to feel like it really is them and it might be, or it might not be. And do you have an opinion on that, on staying objective or when to take ownership and when to realize it's not really you?
1: Yeah. So that's an interesting, I guess I've never wondered, and maybe this is just my male privilege shining through like a beacon of privileged hope. (laughs) Um, But it, I never thought, well, it's me, but I do take other things personally, like when something doesn't work, I end up thinking like, well, you know, my, and I don't want to say like blame the customer, but there is sometimes where I'll hear something like I'll hear feedback on something that's not the feedback I want to hear. And I immediately want to assign some kind of like, well, they don't know because they're asking for two different things or whatever. I'll I'll try and find some hole in their argument. It's Uh like, well, that's not, you know, that's not really going to do anybody any good here because they don't like the thing you just said. But I've never gotten to the point where it's personalized. I think for me, it's always been, okay, well, let's look at, let's look at the numbers. Let's look at what we're trying to do. You want to vet your ideas. If the ideas are good, then, you know, you move forward with it and do the best you can. But unless the feedback you're getting is, look, I love that you're offering this package, but I think you're bad at this and I don't want it from you. Then it might be you. But
0: <laughs> yeah, if they directly um, say that, yeah. All right.
1: But if it's just simply not working, you know, there's a lot of reasons why it's not it, it might not be working. And some of it might simply be it's just not working yet, that the sales cycle on this kind of service is not instantaneous. It might be a few months mm-hmm. or, you know, I mean, it's it, so it always I guess for me, I try really hard to look into okay is this because nobody wants to do this or is this because it's something we're doing wrong is it the messaging I mean, there's and that's a fun thing too when something doesn't appear to be working either a is it actually not working and when do you know and i don't have an easy answer for that and then there's like 800 reasons why it might not be working it's like one of those old i don't know i mean you might be too young to remember these but the old christmas lights where they were the certain circuit where One light went out; the whole string went out. Mm -hmm. And then it was just like, okay, well, there's like seventy of these. So now I have to figure out which one is out and why this whole string is out. And it might actually be more than one. So it's, um, you know, sometimes when something doesn't work, it's more like that situation and not. Well, I guess I'm just bad at stringing lights up.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, you said that helps. It, It does. You said two things I want to go back to. You said vet the ideas and do look at the numbers. And those two things. I just don't see enough of that happening. And I say this from my own experience too. There are so many times where I just wanted to launch a new thing out there into the world. And I see a lot of uh, my clients or my listeners doing this as well, where they just want to do it because they saw someone else do it and have good success with it, but they don't stop and think about, is it going to work for my geographic area, for my ideal client, and they need to go back and vet the idea and look at the numbers and really like see if they can put their own spin on it. So I'm glad that you said that because a lot of times that uh, businesses fail, at least from what I've seen, is because they're just trying to attain something they haven't done enough research into, which means the idea itself isn't bad. It's just the execution of the idea that might be lacking.
1: Yeah, well, and sometimes the idea might actually be bad so (laughs) there is something where you know we kind of have this exercise all the time but we try to demonstrate some kind of interest or proof of concept or research an idea i mean even the vinyl thing that we did um you know we asked that was based on feedback you know is this something if we had a vinyl line that fit with our brand is this something you'd be interested in and That was, we got an overwhelming response for that. And now if nobody ends up buying any of it, then we'll have to go back and figure out why. Is it the wrong product? Is it that people don't want this in general? You know, but there's a lot of ideas where we'll come up with that'll be like, ooh, I'm going to be the Warby Parker of eyebrow trimmers. And it's like, "Whoa, does somebody need that? Like, what? (laughs) who is this for? Like, it's a clever idea, but who is this for, right? Like, who is going to buy this? Who is going to... And I think that's a piece of it too, is just coming, like when you have an idea, understanding really, like who is this for? And I know that sounds like super basic, but people don't do that. They suddenly Mm -hmm. come out and say, yeah, we're going to do this. And you know, we've seen it in our industry. A lot of flooring people are like, we need to work with designers. And that was part of what kicked a lot of this off is the flooring industry is trying to figure out how to get the design industry more involved. But they don't understand the pain points of the design industry so so the flooring industry that is sampling with these giant racks and these big samples and all of that like doesn't work with a typical independent interior designers workflow so you can't just take a flooring retail store if you're a distributor or manufacturer and point it around and say okay yep now we sell designers because you haven't really vetted that like you could point to all the reasons why the design industry is a, is a large and healthy industry and a lot of product moves through there and there's about a hundred thousand of them in the United States but if you don't have if you haven't vetted the idea to say okay how are you going to do this and why would a designer buy this and why would a designer want to spec this then it's not going to work so there's a whole vetting process too that an idea might sound good on paper but when you actually start, you know, talking yourself out of it or trying and, and put it in front of the people who would buy it, it doesn't end up being validated. And I think that's hard when we have creative ideas because we don't want to hear that that's not actually going to work. You know, we want to launch it and prove everybody wrong before we've had a chance.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It all goes back to knowing your ideal client and building services around them versus building a service and then trying to go find customers for it. And that's why I think what you guys are doing makes so much sense and if an interior designer listening is like okay i need to figure out what revel woods is i need to give it a try what is their next step
1: so the next step is to send a check to no i'm just kidding um
0: (laughs) let's cut to the chase
1: (laughs) yeah uh give me all your money or half your money is fine So the, uh, no, we actually, it's not, it doesn't cost you anything to use us. So we did have people say you should go to a subscription model and all that. And we did not. So if you go to the site, if you go to revelwoods.com, there is a little tab that will say for professionals and pro account, and that is how you sign up with us. We're going to ask some pretty basic questions. So nothing that is too challenging, like your tax ID number or stuff, just to make sure that when we're working with you, that you're legit and not your client trying to circumvent you
0: mm-hmm. um, yep.
1: and open an account with us, so they can get better pricing. And then from there, typically we'll help with the onboarding process. We we like to schedule a call with anyone who signs up, who's new with us. I've been doing them lately because I enjoy that. So it's probably going to be me who calls you initially before we move on to one or, uh, someone on our team. Mm-hmm. But we like to schedule a call and just, you know, let's learn about your business and what do you need? Because our site, If you include the resilient offerings, we've got about 170 or so floors on there, but that is not really what we do. So those are great. And if you want something that's on the site, that's awesome. And if you want your client to look on the site and see what it is and how much it MSRP is for, like they can do that. It's super easy. But if you've got like a real specific thing for a project, and I don't just mean like the custom vinyl, but I mean like, anything would like, you're looking for a real pink unicorn of a spec. We know the, I have a personal relationship with the small family run mill in Western Pennsylvania that doesn't have a website that makes that specific product. And we can get that for you. So we really have like any project you have that involves flooring. We really do work with the designers. And this was something that we actually adopted after working with designers and kind of learning that workflow. Originally, we thought, like, here's the link, buy what you want, don't call me. But we never said don't call me. But, you know, what we've learned, too, is that we'll pair you with an installer in your area. We've got access to a huge labor pool across the entire country. We'll help making sure you've got everything from the subfloor to the, are you ordering the right trims? Like, what's the underlayment going to be? Like, we make sure we're asking you questions you're not going to think to ask so that when you're presenting this to a contractor or the client or whatever you're not you don't have to do this alone you know we we you've got our entire backing and like i said my father is chairman of the national wood flooring association so everything we tell you as far as like this is going to work in this situation this is not going to work in this situation please don't do that that comes with backing from the industry the industry standards so what is ultimately going to hold up in court if it comes to that which to date so far for us it hasn't but Because we we will, we'll walk away from sales. I mean, it's not that we walk away from the sale, but if if a designer or your client or whatever is like, I really want this in this space. But we had this actually happen. It was a cabin in the woods in one of the northeastern states. And they wanted to put this flooring over. And I wanted to work with this designer so badly for so long. I've been trying to get a project with them. We finally did. And they wanted to use radiant heat in space the floor was approved over radiant so no big deal we can do that but they wanted to run the water level for radiant heat the in-floor heating at 140 degrees which the maximum amount is 85 degrees for anything and that's not just like our products it's everybody right but like that's not we're not special like our stuff has to be babied and everyone else's doesn't 140 degrees for radiant heat you're like fire walking but that's what they needed to do and i was like this is not going to be okay And they were, you know, the contractor plumber was like, I've done it before. It's fine. And I've had to explain, like, just because you've done it before is not the same as it will work and I'll pay for it if it doesn't. You know, Mm -hmm. I had to explain that difference. And, um, you know, we ended up losing that one. And I'm okay with it. I I slept very well then. I was sad, but I slept well that night because I'm not going to put something with your project. That isn't going to work. Like, I don't, I'm sorry. Like, it's not going to happen. So, that was a long winded way of saying we, that's part of the onboarding process that we work very closely with you and your projects and making sure that you got everything you need.
0: I love it. It takes so much stress off a designer and makes for a happier client in the end, which makes them look good. So, designers, please go to rebelwoods.com and check them out. And then you guys get to speak with John too. And that's always fun. So, John, thank you for coming back on the show and I'm excited to see what is next for Rebel Woods and stay on the line because we have a little bit more to talk about.
1: Awesome, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. Visit us at the com, where we empower home professionals with marketing confidence.